Well, good evening, everyone, once again. Oh, ta-da! Now, there is an unorthodox start to a talk, isn't there? Did you get that on tape? I hope so. Ugh, there we go. Sorry, all of the sounds are broken. <laughs> Stands, all right, okay. <laughs> I hope your chairs stay up. There we go. Well, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> it was a joke. Anyway, um, okay. Well, there you go. Um, Bono's song, uh, sung in that high register plaintiff voice, that song full of yearning, the song whose lyrics grab us. And I must say, for me, particularly resonated uh, with me because when the year it was released was the year that my year 12 exam results came out. And I remember looking at my results and uh, the song title was disturbingly fitting, can I say. <laughs> I still hadn't found what I was looking for. Um, it was the song that elevated you two to international stardom because it struck a chord, really, with everyone who heard it right across the world. It summed up that universal experience that everyone shares, that experience of looking forward to something. And you'll know this in your own life. When, you, when, when eventually that thing comes and then there's the kind of feeling of being let down, that it just didn't deliver, uh, it just didn't measure up to your expectations, whether it's that relationship, that, that purchase, uh, that holiday, uh, that job, whatever it is. Well, it's not just true of life's kind of ordinary experiences and longings, but also our longing for God. Uh, in fact, that's what the album cover hints at for this song, and I actually have it on my lounge. I got it out, but I just left it there. <laughs> um, but I would be holding it up at this point. The album, of course, from U2 called The Joshua Tree, which is a reference to Jesus' cross, Joshua, the Joshua Tree. Makes us wonder that in writing the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Whether Bono was speaking to that reality of Christian experience, that people who become Christians, their experience of God seems somehow less intimate, less personal, less immediate, less fulfilling than what we'd hoped for. Or was he also suggesting that in the Joshua tree, in the cross of Christ, lies actually the solution if you still haven't found what you're looking for? It's intriguing, isn't it? So anyway, we're in this third and final talk in this series, What Does It Mean to Be Good, Good Enough for God? And all the talks have had song titles. In the first week, it was R.E.M. Song, Losing My Religion, where we asked the question, was knowing about God, having a knowledge of God, was that enough? And the answer from Jesus was a big fat no. Knowledge about God was not enough. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was the most enlightened teacher of Israel, that no one can even enter the kingdom of God unless... They are born again. Now we think, well, how does that happen? By having the cross explained to us that there God gave his one and only son so that we would not perish. And then actively believing in him. That's how you receive eternal life. So that was the first week. And then the second week, last week, in answer to the question, what does it mean to be good? We wondered with the Beatles whether perhaps all you need is love. You know, love your neighbor, do to others as you'd have them do to you. Is that what makes you good? 
And the answer again from Jesus was no, because whilst that's part of what God wants of us, it's not the main thing. The main thing is actually to love him, to love him with all our strength, with all our soul, with all our mind. And we think, well, how do we do that? How do you actually love God? Do you achieve it by trying to be religious? Again, Jesus said no, because in the end, religious practices end up masking or hiding our very poor love of God. They create an illusion of righteousness. But in the end, people who try this will end up being hypocrites. And that's dangerous. It will lead to hell. No, what's needed, again, is trust, belief, faith in Jesus, the divine saviour who comes to us from God. So that's a recap. In answer to the question, what does it mean to be good? The answer so far is... Well, none of us are good enough. Our own attempts don't work. What's required of us, the step that does please God, is when we turn to Jesus, God's Son, in faith, and we actively put our trust in him. Now, at this point, most of us will go, faith in Jesus, really, is that all? Surely there is more to being good than that. To which the answer comes back to us straight from the verse we read tonight. Have a look in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I want you to see this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you hear it? We say, hang on, I know lots of good people who aren't Christians. To which God says, you might think that, but please listen to me. Without faith, it is Impossible to please me. Impossible, not probable, as if the good people we know will most likely be acceptable to God. No, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Which tells us that what God is looking for from us in our most basic and essential human response to him is Faith. Not faith that, but faith in. Faith that is knowledge of God. I, you know, you have faith that God is real. No, no, no. Faith in God who is real. Faith, that conscious mental step, that decision we must make to turn to God, to hand over to him our self-sufficiency, all our anxiety, all our goals, our desire to do things in our own strength, and then to take the decision, the active decision of the will, to trust him, to depend upon him. Why? Because it comes from a view of ourselves and God, that a God, we believe, is big, we are small. He is able, we are unable. We are weak, but he is strong. We are powerless, but he is powerful. We are not good enough. God is good enough. And so what God requires of us is for us to trust him, to have faith in him. Or more precisely, in the context of this passage here, to have faith in Jesus. Uh, why do I say that? Because Jesus is the one that whom God has sent to be our saviour king. Uh, you might think I'm doing a furphy with the, 
you know, the verse there, putting sort of importing content into it. But no, uh, if you have a look at, I mean, this verse comes in Hebrews 11. But of course, before that, are 10 chapters, uh, Hebrews 1 to 10. And the subject of all those chapters is Jesus. Jesus, in chapter 1, he's God's unique son through whom God shows himself with a clarity that is unprecedented and can't be improved on. Jesus is greater than any angel, for example. And yet who, chapter 2, became human so that by dying for us, he could atone for our sins. He could free us from the fear of death. Chapters 3 and 4, he is greater than the great religious deliverers of the past, like Moses. He is, chapter 5 and 6, our ultimate great high priest who lives eternally. He offers himself as the one true sacrifice for our sins. Chapter 7, he is a priest like un like no other, because he is a king at the same time and lives eternally, um, which means chapter 8, he therefore opens up a new way for people to come to God, not through religion, not through religious laws, but through him. He's the new covenant. And chapter 9, because his death perfects our worship of God. And chapter 10, because his sacrifice is sufficient, it covers all our sins, never to be, needs to be repeated that means that uh, faith in him, well, he saves us completely. He lifts us to the security of heaven, meaning that we have safety on the day of judgment provided we don't abandon our faith in him. So all of chapters 1 to 10, which I've just summarized, are all about Jesus. So when it mentions faith in chapter 11, it's talking about faith in him. The faith which pleases God is faith in Jesus. That's what I've been saying. That's what, in fact, Jesus has been saying the last two weeks. Now, my guess is that some of you are saying, okay, here's the thing. I do have faith in Jesus. But, honestly speaking, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. God seems distant. It's not, not as if I'm constantly aware of God's living presence in my life every waking moment of the day. I can't see God. When I talk to him in an audible voice, I can't hear an audible reply. Many of my prayers go unanswered. My spiritual life is, frankly, a struggle. Now, that is the reason why we have chapter 11. Because it corrects all our expectations. You see, we expect that faith in Christ will lead to an experience of God which is powerful and constant, where the realness of God overwhelms us, where God speaks to us individually and personally, where he answers all our prayers, where he fulfills our longing, where worship cannot help but be natural and spontaneous all of the time. But is that what faith implies? In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much, most of the New Testament, he says... We live by faith, not by sight. The assumption being, if we lived by sight, then all those expectations would be met because we would see God. He'd be more real to us than what each other is real to us tonight. You know, he would be, we would be totally conscious of him. But for now, until Christ returns, Paul says, we don't live by sight, We live by faith. And in chapter 11, we're told that, that is pleasing to God. 
That's the point of reminding us of the stories of Abel and Enoch. If you look in your Bibles, you may not know their stories, but the point of both of them is that it was their faith which made what they did pleasing to God. That is why God accepted Abel's sacrifice instead of that of his brother Cain. It wasn't that God liked vegetarian offerings more than meat, if you know the story. It was that Abel made his offering with faith in God, and God therefore commended him and not his brother as righteous. Or Enoch, we hardly know anything about Enoch, except we're told he walked with God, and he's one of the few men who never died. The Lord took him away. The Lord whisked him up to heaven. Why? Because he pleased God. And what made his actions pleasing to God was that he did them out of faith in God. Faith is what God wants. That's what makes our actions pleasing to him. Now, it's easy to hear of these people and think, well, they must have had an outstanding experience of God, a direct and open line to heaven with God speaking to them often. Not so. In fact, the experience that we have is actually very similar to theirs. In fact, well, better actually. Their stories, the stories of their lives, and and all the ones in this chapter correct our expectations. They give us a realistic grip on what faith actually looks like. And on your outline, I've, I've listed out four points. First of all, faith means obeying God today because you believe God's word about the future. So God gives you a word about the future and what you do is you take that as true in faith and then it changes your life now. All right? So think of Noah. God spoke to him 120 years before the flood, telling him that he was going to destroy the world by the flood and telling him to get ready. 120 years beforehand. Now, he said about building an ark, it didn't take him that long to build an ark, but best estimates was that he was at it for between somewhere between 50 and 70 